And just to kind of set the scene for the listeners, he could only hunt one 10-acre parcel in the entire unit. And he killed a 30-inch buck in the last minute of the last day of the season. Tell us a little bit about that hunt. Rockcast is powered by Onyx Hunt, and for good reason. Onyx Hunt is the number one hunting GPS app in the industry. Stay tuned for a Rockcast promo code. Hello, Rockslide. I met today's guest 27 years ago last week when I was just 27 years old and he was 18. His father had bought him an Idaho deer tag for his high school graduation present. A mutual friend sent him my way to help them learn some deer country for their upcoming hunt. I spent a half a day with them and our friendship was born. Now, 27 years later, here we are with a mutual love for mule deer and hunting them and all things mule deer. He recently released his first book, Hunting in Today's Wild West, subtitled Hunting Mule Deer and All the Other Big Game of the Mountain West. This book is actually written by today's guest, his father and his son, three generations of hunters hunting across the West for multiple species, with all three weapon types. It's a fast-paced read with over 50 short stories of big game hunts. Please welcome my friend, all the way from Colorado's Western Slope, David Knight. Hi, David. Thanks, glad to be here. Hal. It's great, great to be here. Thanks for having me on your show. You bet, man. You bet. I, I, uh, I ran across your book on Facebook. I don't know. When did you release it? This summer? August? Something like that? Yeah, it was the last week of August when I finally got it out. All right, man. Well, good job. I, I know a lot goes into getting a book out there. And uh, for anybody that wants to look at it right now that might might be at a computer, just jump on Amazon, type in uh, hunting in today's Wild West. The author is David Knight. That's Knight with a K. Pull it up. That's the book we're going to be talking about today, among some other things. So, David, I read a little bit of your Facebook posts and everything. Maybe like a year ago or two years ago, you were talking about doing a book. And, uh, man, I hear a lot of people talk about doing a book, but very few of them come to fruition. Um, and then all of a sudden, here it is, summer of 2023, and I see it's out there. So tell me how it came to be. Well, I had actually started just – I had always written down every every hunt I, I went on just for my own you know, benefit, just to read back, just just for my own fun. And then I wrote a few for different magazines that got published. And I'd have people tell me, like, why are you uh, why are you writing stories for other people when they're the ones making the money off of it? You might as well write your own book and make a little spending money and 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 get more out of it that way. And and I kind of thought about it, like, yeah, I don't that's that seems like a lot of trouble. I don't really know how to go about it. And I so I, I wrote a whole bunch of these. I probably wrote half of that book probably 15 years ago mm -hmm. and then just kind of put it away. And then, then my dad brought up the, it was actually when I shot my moose last year, I had mentioned that one of the big magazines had sent me an email asking for a story and I said, you know, I'm, I'm just kind of over giving those people stories. You're right. I should stop doing that. He's like, well, why don't we just write our own and then, and then we can do our own book our own way. Like, you know what, let's, let's do it. Let's stop talking about it. And let's just do it. 
So we that's what we did. We started putting together stories. I got my son involved. And I, I was really blown away by his writing ability because he had never shown any interest in writing. He, I mean, he kind of just breezed through high school. I mean, I did the same thing. So I really didn't know what to expect. And then he wrote his first article and emailed it to me. And I was just floored. I was like, man, this, this kid can write. So... <laughs> And for so it's, our, for it's our listeners, D- David's dad's name is Mike, Mike Knight. So if we talk about that, and his son's name is Jared. Yep. Okay. So so your dad, um, I knew this a little bit, but some of it's in the book. So we'll 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 get it out to the readers here. He started hunting in the 60s, really the heyday of mule deer. He was living in Texas, coming up to Colorado, New Mexico, and just got the bug. And he writes about that journey in there, and it's hilarious, dude. All those bucks he was missing. <laughs> <laughs> at like 50 yards, which, hey, man, I can't make fun of him, but they, they make funny stories. Yeah. And uh, that's kind of what opens the book. And I thought that was really cool how, how and you can see his evolution from, you know, the 60s to basically the 90s when I met him. And by that time, he was guiding and everything. Um, tell us a little bit about that. Well, he had, uh, he had been coming up here hunting from Texas for I mean, that was his life. He was, he just lived mule deer and finally decided he needed to be in the middle of it and moved us all, all up here in, in 1992. So that was, that was the year that everybody that you could at 14, you could start hunting in Colorado. So it was perfect timing for me. And we were, we were living in kind of the good old days. I mean, the nineties were, was pretty good deer hunting. And it continued that way. It even got, it just got better and better throughout once we went draw in 99. It just, it was really, really good. And then it started to taper off and it got harder to get tags. And he started missing East Texas where, where he was from and missing bass fishing. And, and he got to really hating snow, cold weather, the political climate of Colorado. There was a lot of things that, made him made him bail and so now he's back living in texas and it's it's kind of depressing for me because i'm still trying to get him licenses now that he's a non-resident it's yeah it's really hard to get us both hunts together yeah so it's it's something i struggle with every application series and hopefully one of these days i'm gonna get him another tag but it's it's been a struggle yeah sad state of affairs indeed um, so what, how old's your dad now? Is he in his early seventies? He is, uh, 71. 71. Gotcha. Gotcha. And well, he, he, he wrote some great stories in here, man. I really encourage people to, to, to pick up the book. What I liked about the book, David, was the, the short form of the stories. I mean, it's just like, it's just like a machine gun of stories. Just some of these stories are only a page long, just boom, 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 boom. And, 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 you know, at first I was like, man, I've never really read a book like this. You know, I'm used to books like mine, you know, kind of longer form stories, you know, developing a topic and, you know, trying to stay awake basically where yours is just like one after the other, after the other. And, um, you know, the, like I said, the book started off with your dad and, you know, lo- loved his stories, loved seeing the evolution of, 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 of his hunting abilities through the 60s, 70s, 80s, and 90s, and then becoming a guide. That that was really cool, and and you know I've I've been an outfitter for for twenty years, so some of the stories that guides come up with are just hilarious, and and your dad got some of those in there, and um, 
I, I thought that really made for a different book. You know, you got the whole DIY side of you and him and Jared, and then also the whole guided side that he went through because, um, you know, he guided what, 20, 30 years? Yeah, he's, he started guiding, I mean, pretty much as soon as we, as soon as we lived here. And he had guided fishermen before that in Texas. And now, and he does that again now. But he guided deer and elk hunters from from '92 until till he moved back to Texas in 2017. Gotcha. And he would happily come back and do it now. There's just he's the outfitters that he worked for are all retired, and and it's a long drive up here for that matter. So yeah, you bet, you bet. And uh, you guys were living on the western slope of Colorado that entire time, right? Yep, same same city, Montrose. Gotcha. Living in Montrose. Are you still living there? Yep, still live here. I'm I'm kind of the last holdout. Everybody else has moved away. Just me and my brother, the only ones left. Not right. Yeah, I saw that that it, uh, Jared moved away too. So, yep. um, but anyways, um, so so on the book, uh, you guys put that together. Sounds like you wrote a big chunk of it 15 years ago, and then you really got busy the last year. Yeah, I really put in a lot of effort this this winter, writing down everything that wasn't written down. And just compiling everything into a format that I could get to our editor and graphic designer to to turn it into a book. Gotcha. So that's how you did it. I know, you know, like about a year ago, I'd reached out to you and told you how I had done mine. And, you know, I just because even though anybody can publish a book on Amazon, you know, getting a good product is half the battle, you know, getting it put together, right? A good, good, good cover, good photos, photo placement, you know, captions in the right place, somebody to edit out all your spelling errors and all that kind of stuff. So, so you, you hired that out. Yeah. Yeah. That was a, a, a friend of a friend from, from Houston that actually put all that together. Gosh. And uh, all of the, all of the live photos were pictures I'd taken. Uh, I get, I've been getting a lot of compliments on our cover. Uh, that was, I, I kind of designed all that. I took the cover picture and designed all of our three, three bucks there on the front. So that, that was fun to put that together. Yeah, I, I and that's what I mean. Is it feel it feels professional when I look at it? You know, so just because anybody can write a book and put it on Amazon, you know, I've seen some pretty bad ones. You know, almost like you know third graders trying to publish a book, and this doesn't have that feel at all. And also for the listeners, it's a full color book. And you know, when I I put my first back book out in uh, fifteen, they they didn't even have a color option. And then when I did my 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 last one two years ago, there was a color option, but it was going to make the book really expensive. Um, it looks like you were able to overcome that. This book is less than thirty dollars, right? Yes. Yeah, less than thirty bucks, full color cover, uh, covers and interior photos. I don't think there's a black and white photo in it, unless it was one of your dad's old photos from the sixties. Yeah, there's a, the only black and whites. Yeah, are are some of his very very long ago original photos, but but that's just because that's what they were. So, well, man, I'm I'm a little jelly looking at my black and white photos in mine here. So I might have to uh, rehire my editor and say, hey, you know, create some new files here because it does. It makes makes for a really nice book. Um, well, let's talk about uh, some of your hunts that are in there. I'll go first. Some of my favorite ones that, that I really enjoyed was, was of course, that that first buck that you got in Idaho after I met you guys. And probably just because I was familiar with the hunt, that buck went better than 180, right? Yeah, that one, and that's still to this day my biggest buck. 
183 dude living in colorado for 30 years and that's still your biggest buck and uh but i I remember you know when it happened but i didn't know all the details i didn't know about the migraine maybe i did and i just forgot you know it was a long time ago and you know you're sleeping waking up sleeping waking up and then shooting the buck (laughs) that was just hilarious well then that buck he kept uh, my dad had spotted him the day before the day before it was that was opening day and said that he had found a, what he thought was a, a 24 or 25 inch 160 buck. And, and I was thrilled with, with that kind of buck. He's like, well, I got a plan. We'll just put you down in partway down the basin before he comes out. And then you could just wait on him because then I'll go hunt another basin. And of course that's when the migraine kicked in and I, it was, it was brutal. And I kind of fade in and out. And at one point I looked up and I could see what I swore was a white face and an antler you know, probably 50 yards back in the timber. Like, no, it can't be. And I'd look at it and like, and I finally convinced myself it wasn't. And then I'd fade out again. I'd wake back up and look and it wouldn't be there. Like, oh, it was a buck. And then a minute later, there he was again, in the same tracks, just the side of his face and one antler. Like, How far? Right, it is, it is him. And, and the wind was blowing right to him. So he knew I was there, but he didn't, I think there hadn't been so much activity that he, that he wasn't spooked by it. And he finally stepped on out and I let him have it. It was about 350 yards. It was a little, he came out a little further down than we expected. And 350 yards in 1996 was a long shot. Yeah. I was one of those hold on the back line and, and hope for the best kind of situations. Yeah, back when we were all trying to shoot laser beams out there because we didn't have range finders and didn't have any idea how far anything was. And uh, And to this day, that's still about as far as I'll shoot. I've shot a few things further than that, but I'm still a dinosaur and use a 30 out six and and 350 is pretty much it. I'd I'd rather try to sneak in a little closer and, and just get a little more out of the hunt that way. Hey, I think that's okay, man. The five, I, I've been mistaken as a long range hunter because everybody knows I hunt big bucks and I'm not the farthest I've ever killed one's about 460. And that's only just been one or two. Uh, I mean, all the rest of them pretty much 300 and in and, uh, you know, a different discussion, but you know, maybe that's something we could do for mule deer going into the future. You know, I'd we nobody's put up any proof yet that long range hunting's hurting them because a lot of guys that shoot them at long range, if they didn't have that ability, they would just stalk in closer and shoot them anyways. Um, but I've always always not even surprised but it's very common when i talk to some of the better hunters that i know that have taken a lot of game even some of the bigger ones that they're still you know i don't know 400 and in you know 500 maybe you know and uh, it's kind of refreshing but anyways um so there was that buck in there and then then david uh, probably the story that surprised me the most that i thought was i mean i just thought it was going to be dumb was the 200 K buck, $200,000 buck story. That's the name of it. The 200 K buck. And just to kind of set the scene for the listeners, he could only hunt one 10 acre, 10 acre parcel in the entire unit. And he killed a 30 inch buck in the last minute of the last day of the season. Tell us a little bit about that hunt. The rock cast is powered by Onyx hunt, the number one hunting GPS app in the industry. Join the millions of hunters who trust Onyx to find more game, discover new access, and hunt smarter. Some of the key features of Onyx are the ability to combine critical land data with on-the-ground exploration to build your perfect map and find success. 
All your save markups sync automatically to all devices for use in the field or from home. Onyx includes nationwide public and private land boundaries. Hunt with confidence and find new opportunities using color-coded public land maps, private parcel ownership information, and clearly marked boundaries. Mark locations crucial to your hunt with custom waypoints. Measure distances of your walk-in, shot across canyon, or distance to the nearest access point with lines. View maps in 3D and choose satellite, topo, or hybrid base maps to have the best, easy-to-read visual for your hunt. Go as far from the grid as you want. No cell service required. Save detailed maps, layers, and markups for offline use. With live tracking and current location features, you'll make it out and back just like you planned. Don't risk getting turned around or lost. So if you're ready to make the jump to Onyx, use the code ROTCAST at checkout and save yourself 20%. Okay, so I had I had finally saved up and, and bought my own piece of property and, and built a house on it. It was it was my dream property, my dream house, everything about it. And and when I was looking at properties, I looked at three or four places and and my realtor had, had sent me different pins to go look at. And when I got to that one, it was, I realized it was a place that I'd worked on. I'd actually, I'm a surveyor and I'd surveyed that property and it was a place that I'd seen big bucks on before. And it's a spot where there's a rim rock for miles in each direction. And there's a cut in the rim rock with like six deer trails that just pour off of it. Like, you know what, if there was ever a place for deer to come through, this is the highway for them. And that's, that's what made me pick this property to buy and build my house on. So you bought that piece of property that actually had that cut in the rim rock. Yeah, that was the deciding factor of me picking that piece of ground to buy. <laughs> Didn't care what the wife had to say. Hey, this has got deer trails on it. We're going to buy this. <laughs> Anyways, keep going. So built the house. I mean, had, had deer on it sporadically. Not, I mean, not much in the summertime, every once in a while. But once the migration kicked off and everything came, came off the top of the mountain, I would have more and more as they pass through going from the mountain up into the hay fields down below me. So like, well, you know what? It's, and I didn't draw a tag that year. Like, man, it sure would be nice to, to have a tag. Uh, but the only way I could even get a tag since I didn't draw a tag, I ended up having to pay 500 bucks for a landowner voucher that was a private land only. And of course it didn't come with any land to hunt. I didn't right. have any access to anybody else. Like, well, I got all my eggs in this 10 acre basket. I got 500 bucks involved in this, in this hunt. Didn't have any time off from work because I had drawn a sheep tag that year. Like, you know what? The deer are here for five minutes at a time. They, they cross through, they go through that cut and they're gone. So I can hunt the mornings and evenings and probably have all of the activity I'm going to have. Okay. I got to so, stop you right there. You left out one detail, the trail camera picture from April. Ah, yes. The, he showed up. It was, it was my first year there. It was right after the house was built and I had been living there for maybe a month. And I had the trail camera up and I had a few does and, and I walked up to put, pull the chip out, put it in my little camera to look at it. And there was that, just the tiniest hint of a fork at the bottom of the screen. It's like, man, there's a full rack buck in April on my property. In and velvet? I can't remember if he was in velvet. Yeah, he was in velvet. So you're thinking stag. So so he's. I, I knew I had a stag buck. So I'd climb up on that ridge for, I don't know, probably every day for three weeks. 
and glassed and glassed all the fields around me, all the sage flats around me. I had to get eyes on this buck and nothing. Couldn't find him to save my life. And finally, I'd given up. And a few days later, I'm driving out the driveway and I look across the road and there he is standing there 50 yards from my mailbox. First time you've ever laid eyes on him was, besides the one little image on the trail camera. Yeah, first time I'd seen him in, in person. And I was like, that's that's a nice buck. And I figured, you know, he was just outside his ears, you know, 23, 24. And like, that's a nice buck. That's cool. I got a buck on my place. So and I kind of put him out of my mind because I I didn't ever see him again. You know, the deer travel through are there a lot. So and then I ended up getting that that landowner tag and hunted the first three or four days every morning, every evening. And then uh, the only day I couldn't hunt uh, Thursday, the season ended on Friday. Thursday, I couldn't hunt because I had to I had to work in Gunnison and I had to leave early. So no. No, no hunting at all on Thursday. I was like, well, that's fine. I mean, it hadn't been all that great. I've only been two points and those coming through here anyway. So didn't hunt Thursday and sat there Friday morning. Nothing happened. Friday afternoon, I sit in my same spot. And I wait and wait. And three does walk by. I was like, oh, well, seeing something. And, and I'm watching my phone to, for the last little bit of legal light. And five minutes before that, it's getting dark. Yeah, like, dark, well, you dark, know, dark. I still got five minutes of legal light, but it's, it's over. I stood up and look up and I could just see a big buck walking along the fence line. Like, you know what? I don't, all I know is he's big. I don't care what he is. I'm shooting. I got about 30 seconds. Let's get him killed. <laughs> and he's on your side of the fence, right? He's on my side of the fence. Gotcha. So, and I have to turn my scope all the way down to three <laughs> just to get enough light in my scope to see. How far? Uh, he was 140 yards. And did you like recognize that. him? I, I knew instantly. I was like, that's the stag buck. And okay. I didn't recognize him until I had him in my scope as I was squeezing the trigger. That's the stag buck. Okay. Piled him up. I was like, man, talk about a buzzer beater. That was the last second. And then you walk up and he's 30 inches wide. And, and not only that, but this is the biggest body deer I have ever dealt with ever. And I mean, dealing with hundreds of dead bucks from guided clients and ones I've shot and ones my friends have shot. This deer was an absolute giant. It 26 inch wide ears. Wow. Which made that 23 inch buck that I thought was, was actually, he actually was 29 and a half. Wow. Wow. In, incredible. Yeah. Well, they say when they don't breed, they, they, they get really fat. Yeah. He, he was covered in fat and, and didn't have to do anything, but, but grow antler. Well, I, I just thought that that story jumped out at me. I mean, there's, there's bigger bucks in there. You know, your dad killed over a 200, you know, Jared has, but that was the one that jumped out at me as like, wow, you can hunt the only 10 acres in the unit and you still got one in the last couple of minutes and he's pushing 30 and it was your target buck. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and so I'm, I'm used to, to, to covering, the, covering ground, seeing what's over the next ridge and constantly moving. And I mean, I move more than I should and I don't glass as much as I should. So to, to be confined to one spot for an entire hunt was, was, was really difficult, but it was, I mean, it's kind of a learning experience because there's places all over the West that you don't even think about that. If you were to just sit there, you'd probably be better off, but. Yep. Especially like, on the older animals. Like the, I own about, I, I don't know, maybe an acre on top of that ridge. Uh-huh. And if I go up there and the deer are anywhere near my property line, they don't come back for three or four days. 
Mm-hmm. So I, I can't go up there and mess around if, if I want to mm-hmm. see the deer. Mm-hmm. Just got to let them do their thing and set a good ambush. Well, anyways, what a good story, man. I encourage everybody to pick up the book and uh, check that one out. That's just a little sample. Another of my favorite stories, David, was uh, the one called The Hardest Hunt. And it sounds like, I think I think I know where you were hunting because that unit got real red hot for a while because everybody could draw it and it had great dates. And then they they all kind of abandoned it because they figured out by the time third and fourth season opened, there wasn't a deer left in the unit. But you found one. Yep. Yeah, that's to this day, that is my favorite buck, favorite buck hunt I've I've ever had. Well, tell us a little bit about it and why why, why he really could have been the very last, last buck in the unit. Well, I was I was hunting at like ninety five hundred feet because there's no public land uh, on winter range down there. I mean, basically none. So that made me hunt made me hunt the higher country. And, and this was on third season, right? This, this was this is actually fourth season. Fourth season at ninety five hundred feet. For those of you that don't know, there there's not much at that elevation or even nine thousand feet on on most fourth season units, especially this one. So I had gone a couple of days without seeing any deer. I mean, as you would expect, you know, glass here, glass there, try to find tracks. And when I finally found that track, I was like, all right, there is a buck here. And it's it's a mature track from the looks of things. And that buck just took me in circles. He knew he knew I was there. He knew he was being hunted. He was in thick dark timber. You, there was no way to glass him. Mm-hmm. So all I could do was continue to track him. And and in the course of these circles that he would take me in, he didn't want to leave because he had his little little nest. But he kept going through. There was one little spot of, of aspens that was maybe 20 trees mm-hmm. and a little spring coming out of those aspens. And he kept going through that. Like, And by the time I figured this out, it was right before dark on the, the day before the last day. Okay, and so this tracking job is a multi-day thing, right? Yeah, I've been on this trail and tracking his tracks on top of my previous boot tracks and just frustrating to no end, knowing that he was just toying with me. So you had cut his track when you were walking back in to scout somewhere else, right? Cutting from the trail or something like that. And you picked up that track, didn't get him the first day, kept going back. And you're, you're, this buck is staying in relatively the same area. And that's what you mean by you're seeing his tracks in your previous day's boot tracks. Yeah, I, I don't believe that there was any other deer in that whole area. No does, no nothing. He didn't have anything. He was just, just waiting things out. Mid-November in Colorado, and he's hiding. I, I really think that he was a buck that he either tried to wait it out and, and lived up there all the time. Or he was waiting until the last minute. And I think he was one of those bucks because he was a really old buck. And yes. I think he just, I think he just didn't rut. Mm-hmm. Or if he did, he didn't rut very hard. Interesting. Yeah. Cause you know, any self-respecting buck by four season on Colorado, I mean, they're, they're in the does or very close to them. So anyway, usually a, a fourth season hunt, you're hunting for does and then yeah. just seeing what's found the does. Right. But I had to, I had to turn on a different technique for this guy. So once I figured out that he liked that little spring area and I figured, well, I'm going to go for broke in the morning. I'm just going to go straight to that spring. And there was a little ridge that blocked it. And I climbed up that ridge. All right. Well, it's, it's all or nothing right here. When I inched my way to the top of that ridge, I could see his back tines sticking up. 
So he stepped just a little little further where I could see his whole body, and he was he, he was clueless. He he didn't realize I had come back, and I had a tiny little spot between the aspens. Shot him in the neck, piled him up. First thing in the morning, you had got on him. Yeah, this was yeah probably seven thirty in the morning. Gotcha. Just getting just getting light. And was he bedded or was he already on his feet? He was already on his feet. Cool, man. Cool. Well, that story was really cool for me. And just probably because I've known so many guys that have tried that tag over the years and just like, I'm never going back to that place. And then you pulled one out, a good one too. 20 inch G2s, if I remember right. Yeah. That, yeah, that's that's rare. That is that is a big, big deer. So very cool, buddy. And then um, the other one that really jumped out at me, I loved your sheep hunt. That's cool, of course. You know, 28 years of waiting for a sheep. But dude, your, your Colorado moose hunt. That that was a really neat story. And just in the sense of, man, it almost like you're talking about traffic jams and you know, all the people, and you couldn't wear camo because you, you know, you might get stoned and all that stuff. Kind of walk us through that story. Yeah, it was it was very frustrating. I mean, I, I picked that area because I've driven through that area a bunch and I I've always seen moose. It was like, well, this is the spot. I know more, more about it than anywhere. There's no point in learning something new. I mean, the chances of drawing a moose license anyway is just astronomical. So I might as well throw my chance at something that I know. And then, I mean, out of the blue, there it is. I was like, all right, sweet. I'm going moose hunting. Was there only one uh, tag available in the unit? Yeah, there's just the one tag. And one it was tag. one of the uh, X tags, which lets you hunt all of the, the weapon types. Okay, gotcha. Gotcha. So you could hunt archery, muzzleloader, and rifle. Okay. So... I'm I'm always looking to have some kind of license where I can focus my whole summer on scouting because just just to have one tag like that that I just give everything to is that just makes my summer. So this year that or that year that was that was it, and so I drove over there. Usually I drive over there Friday afternoon after work and sleep in my truck and just stay over there because you know gas was you know, 450 a gallon at that point. Yeah, so this was what, 2021? This was 22 last year. Last year, okay, gotcha. So I'd, I'd look over one place Friday afternoon, sleep in my truck, drive somewhere else, because, I mean, all all of the moose habitat in this area was in the valleys, which and there's roads in every valley, so it wasn't really like it was going to be a strenuous hunt. Mm-hmm. So I would keep checking the four or five spots that moose were usually at, and and sometimes they were they get in the dark timber and they're just if they don't come out in those those willow flats you just don't see them you just don't mm-hmm. find them so there was there was a lot of weekends where I never saw a moose and then so I had talked to somebody that said oh did you go up so and so I saw some pictures on Facebook of of a bull over there I was like huh there's a thought so I started signing up for all of the different tourist pages in that Facebook. area. Mm-hmm. And so, and there was just a constant parade of pictures of moose. There, there was even one called the Moose Watch, and that one was a gold mine. So you course, got you got all these non-hunters, possibly anti-hunters, out there basically scouting for you. Exactly, and they had no <laughs> idea. And I don't even feel bad about it. Oh no, feel good, dude. That's what I loved about the story, you know. <laughs> And there were times that, that most of the time I still spotted the moose before the traffic jam. 
But if I pulled over, I had to look at it, see which one it was, see what kind of bull it was, take some pictures and get out of there before anybody else drove by. And most of the time I didn't make it. There'd be somebody else pulled over. And by the time you get three vehicles, then every vehicle stops. And it got, it got frustrating because, I mean, usually on the weekends, I'm wearing just whatever I grab, which is usually a camo shirt. And people started just hassling me and hounding me. You're not going to hurt one of these moose, are you? Mm -hmm. I'm all going to hurt one of them. Mm -hmm. Yep. And then I'm going to eat him. So I've learned pretty quick that if anybody was going to help me in person, especially, I had to just dress in regular clothes, walk around with a camera. No, not even a camo hat. (laughs) And and then people started being a little more receptive. Oh, yeah, there's a bull down so-and-so creek. Yeah, he's there. He was there five minutes ago. And then I'd find him. This is great. So but it was, it got, it, well, the day before the season, because I had found the bull that I had, that I had shot and I knew there was another one that was close and, and that I was, that I had never located the whole summer. The day before the season started, we found him in the complete opposite end of the unit that I hadn't really seen that many moose in just a few cows here and there. There was a school bus parked on the side of the road. And we're like, well, I wonder what they're looking at. And we get up there and here's this other big bull. I mean, belly deep in a beaver pond with all these school kids watching it. My dad goes, you wouldn't really shoot that moose with all them kids watching. Like, no, it's, op- it's open now. This is the day before the season. Oh, okay. Gotcha. I was like, no, I wouldn't shoot it with all the school kids watching. But as soon as they drove away, I'd be shooting. Awesome. Like, yeah, he goes, this isn't the moose hunt I ever imagined with all these people. And Maybe half a mile from where this bull was, there was a, there was an auto shop and you could hear people clanging on metal and people talking. And then the school was maybe a mile away the other way. And we're on a piece of forest. It's in between two parts of town. And and I was like, you know, you're right. This, this isn't moose hunting supposed to be wilderness. This is, this is urban moose hunting. I was like, let's go see if we can, just you know, get keep tabs on the other one. Then we'll come come up come up first thing in the morning, and we'll shoot the other one. I couldn't decide which one was bigger, and my dad was insisted that the one I called the semi truck, or the one actually the game warden called him that, was bigger. And it turns out he was right. Mm-hmm. We went back over there and put him to bed, same spot. Like, all right, we'll just come back in the morning, and we'll just kill him. And, and I, I, this was during the muzzle loader hunt right yeah this was okay. the muzzleloader gotcha. and archery hit it at the same time so same I time okay gotcha might gotcha. as well just start out strong with the, with the muzzleloader so we we come back the next morning we've got we've got my whole crew we got my brother my dad my son and it's getting light we're looking and looking in all the spots and there's no moose there is one little mining claim in this whole area only piece of private anywhere around and there's a tiny little cabin on it Finally, Jared looks up and goes, I got him. It was, he's laying down up against that cabin. It's like, oh my gosh. You're kidding me. So he finally gets up, walks, starts heading for the, for the public. So we had to get back in the truck, drive around maybe half a mile and get back onto the public. And I get out, get back through the brush, no bull, nothing. I glass off in the distance. I can see them looking at something. And of course, there's like there's no way to, to know what they're looking at. Who's they? 
Well, my dad, my son, and and my brother, they're okay. all gotcha. watching from the road. So I finally give up. It's like, all right, he's he's not going anywhere. He'll be back out. I get, I climb up on a logging road and turn a corner into this thick timber, and there he is, 20 yards at most. And all I see is palms and the whites of his eyes. And he just runs full throttle straight at me. Mm-hmm. It was at that point I realized I could never hunt Cape Buffalo. <laughs> yep. <laughs> this bull ran at me. I started stumbling backwards, just trying to get out of his way and shot somewhere in the neighborhood of 20, 30 feet at this moose. I have no idea where I hit. Couldn't tell you. Don't even remember seeing the sights. I just remember falling backwards, pulling the trigger, and that at least made him change course. And then he ran off into the timber. And was so you gone. hit him. You hit him that no, first shot. I, I didn't hit him at all that time. Okay. Just scared him off. So they hear the shot and they assume that I got him. I mean, how are you going to miss a bull and you can't see more than 30 yards in the dark timber? But apparently I did. <laughs> so he's gone and we're not very far from the unit boundary. So I'm convinced that he's gone back and I'm not going to ever see him again unless he's in the wrong area. So we decide to go hunt the other bull. That's the urban bull. And we sit there and wait and wait. And the pond that he was waiting around in the previous day, there's two guys fly fishing in and it's like, man, this just, this isn't right. About the time my brother spots him, he's like, Oh, he just stood up. He's out there about 300 yards. And there just wasn't a way to get to him without just having to swim, basically. Like, you know, I just don't want to shoot that bull. Like, let's go back. We got about an hour. Let's go. Let's go back and look and see if we can find the truck bull. And so we drove back over there, started glassing, and there he was laying down in the willows in the open. And 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 if I remember right, the, the game warden is the one that gave him that name or gave you the idea for that, that the, the truck. Yeah, he's the one. He that, was the size of a semi-truck. Yep, yep, that's that's why gotcha. he called him that. Because okay. he had another bull with him earlier in the summer, and it looked like looking at a cow and a calf. Such gotcha. a size difference. Mm-hmm. In fact, he's he's getting mounted right now, and they're using an Alaska Yukon form. All right, man. Spoiler alert. You got him. <laughs> so go back that that it was there was about five minutes of daylight left. And I had I thought ahead and I actually talked to the game warden. I said, Is it is it legal for me to have two muzzleloaders? He goes, I've never had anybody ask me that question, but I don't see why not. He goes, yep. just don't let anybody else carry the other muzzleloader. Like, not a problem. So jump out of the truck. Cap up both muzzle loaders, tear off through the willows to sneak up on this bull. I get in there and realize that the willows are now, you know, 20 feet tall. Can't see anything. I'm running through the willows, trying to get in range of this bull, trying to beat the clock. I look back over where everybody's watching, and they're all, I can see they're all excited looking at one spot. I'm like, he hadn't left. I finally claw my way through the willows to get on a little high point, and there he was. I came out right where he was bedded at about 25 yards. And he jumped up with that same look in his eye. And I threw this threw my gun up on him and I have a peep sight on my main muzzleloader. And I couldn't see the sights as dark as it was. Mm-hmm. And with a with a black animal, I had to take my gun off of him. I was like, all right, front sight, inside to back sight, put it back on the moose, boom. And he jumped backwards, maybe ran, I don't know, maybe 20 feet. 
I switched to that other gun and let him have it with the other bullet within 10 seconds and just cratered him. <laughs> awesome, man. What'd you hit him with? Uh, I was using a 350 grain uh, federal bore locks. On both guns? On both guns, yep. All right, man. All right. What what a story. What a story, man. Encourage people to pick up the book. That I mean, this is the flavor of the whole book here that David's talking about. There's so many crazy stories in there. Uh, there. There was the other story where you and your son were hunting that little tiny gully. You just swear there was no deer in there. I think it was kind of like that 10 acres you were hunting. You guys pulled a nice buck out of that one. Um, I mean, just story after story after story. Um, are, what's your favorite story in there of yours? Hmm. Probably, maybe it's just the the dad in me, but probably the making of a mule deer hunter, volume three. Uh, just reading my son's, just his his take on on growing up, turning into a deer hunter, and just being blown away by by his riding skill that I didn't even know he had, and just and reliving all of the the stories that he that he mentioned in that story, his first buck, his first buck that he found on his own. And, Everything about about that story and his in that that volume of it is just is, is by far my favorite one. Well, that's cool. Well, that's where I'm at right now. Just getting into that part, but I I was I'm getting ready to go hunting again. And I thought, man, I don't want to wait to record this episode till I finish the book. I've read enough of it to know it's it's a good book. And uh, but I, I I've uh, scanned through some of his stories and everything. Looks like at least one two hundred incher in there. Lots of nice bucks. Um, gosh, he's I've, definitely a, a prodigy. I've, I've created a monster. He's, yeah. he's got a, well, he killed a 200 inch buck over 200 inches when he was 11 years old. <laughs> so I thought it, you know, everybody said, oh, he's spoiled for sure. And what does he do? He follows it up with another non-typical the very next year. That's eight on each side and over 30. Yeah. And yeah. right now I think he has 10 bucks, uh, between over 160. Uh-huh. And, I'm I'm pretty proud of him. He's he's a heck of a deer hunter. Well, that that's cool, and that's what's the other thing is pretty cool about the book. It's kind of a a Colorado history. I mean, it goes from the '60s to just last year on you know kind of the evolution, not just mule deer, but lots of elk hunting stories in here. We just talked about the moose hunt, got a sheep hunt in there. Uh, let's see some axis deer. Uh, a lot of stuff in there, a lot of history. I mean, I see old camp trailers in here, old trucks and stuff. Um, and not just Colorado, you've got Idaho, Wyoming in here, uh, Nebraska, um, un unknown places, New Mexico, stuff like that. I mean, it's, it's pretty, it's pretty Western and then some. Yeah. And, and I might be over paranoid about, about naming locations, but I mean, you know how it can be when you, when you say even the slightest hint of a place, it just overruns it with people. There's oh, I agree. Don't, don't don't mention any places. In fact, if I didn't say that before we went on, don't 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 yeah. say any units, even if they're really hard to draw units. Because you're right, man. The West has changed, and there's so many people sitting on the sidelines with so many points. If you even drop a unit number, you can. And you I'm can even watch paranoid about up. the state, the name of the state. I mean, there's there's states that are still easier to get that are under the radar and. And I'm, I would like to keep it that way for as long as possible. <laughs> That's right. And I picked up on that in, some, in, in the book on some of these stories, like, hmm. Don't really know where this was, but that's okay too, David. And I'm hats off to you, man. It's, I think the West is changing, it's shrinking. We got to be really careful with that stuff. 
Um, moving on to your dad's sections. Um, I, I'm sure you read all his stories too, but the, the guy, I mean, all his old stories, they were great. I mean, he's got a 200 inch buck in there off a draw unit. Um, a couple other really good bucks too. Um, but dude, the, the guide stories, those are so funny. And my, my favorite one was the horse's patoot. Um, <laughs> looked like your dad for the most part, all his years of guiding. And this is how it's been for me. 99% of guys are great. Good hunters, you know, they're there for the right reason. You know, that's why I never look down on guided hunters. I'm like, you know, these guys just don't, they just weren't born where I was. You know, a lot of them are, you know, they're better shots than I am. A lot of them have grown up in whitetail country where they're shooting, you know, three or four bucks a year, you know, 10 does. Geez, you know, you don't, you can't shoot 10 deer in the West, even when it was good. You know, you get one deer a year, maybe, uh, you know, two, if you're hunting out of state. And that, that's been been my experience, but your dad highlighted a couple of these goofballs. Um, uh, so I really encourage people to to read it. The Horse's Patoot, uh, that was hilarious. Basically, one of those hunters that no matter what you did, he thought the guide was against him. You know, the guide's lying. You know, the guide's, the guide's giving the better animals to all the people. And then when he finally does get a bull, what does he do? Walk up and kicks it. Yep. Just disgusting, but hilarious. Good entertainment. Love the way your dad wrote. Um, and then <laughs> the two the two long range shooters, the guy that shot the squirrel at a thousand thirty seven yards or whatever, and then the pro archer that could hit the solo cups at eighty yards. Both of them blew their close range shots. Yeah, that seems to be a pretty common thread with with <laughs> stuff like that. I mean, I, I remember we had a a pretty famous television star archer that did the trick shots and that kind of thing. And, you know, we got kind of guy that can shoot his arrow through a washer and then he misses a bull at 12 yards. So <laughs> just, just hilarious. So tell your dad, good job. I'm glad he included those in there. You know, he blots out everybody's faces. He doesn't share any names, you know, it was, but it, it's good entertainment. Um, so anyways, I'm just getting into Jared. So, you know, you've, you've kind of hit on that. Um, anything else you want people to know about your book? Mm, well, um, you kind of put me on the spot there. Uh, I, all I can say is that it was, it was a lot of fun to write. And I, I don't know if I'll write another one. I mean, I will definitely write another one. I don't know that I will, if I will publish it or not, but I'm not going to stop writing just because I enjoy it for, for me. and. You know, if there's some 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 call that people if people want us want to read it, then I'll I'll be happy to do another one. I mean, I'm definitely not doing it for for the money. I mean, I'm I'm a long way from even breaking even, but it was oh, yeah. it was something that it was a bucket list kind of thing. I wanted to do it, and I I don't even care if I do make money on it really. But it was it was fun to do, and and I just can't wait to have more more adventures to, to write about and do make another one. Well, Hey, that's what one of my, uh, my teachers told me in, uh, in college, a writer is just someone who writes and, uh, and, and you're definitely a writer. You're definitely doing that. I, I'm really thankful that you recorded all this history for us. It was a fun read. Um, highly recommend it for people. I hope you do another one, David. And again, I just really like the style of just short and fast, you know, no, no big long theme development, you know, not nothing like that. Just boom, we went deer hunting and this is what happened. And, and I think people will really enjoy that. Um, and, uh, you know, something else too, you know, that, 
I've always like people aren't reading books as much anymore. I mean, de definitely. But, you know, if you go out and do the research on, you know, how the brain works, reading a reading a physical book versus reading online, it's it's a totally different experience. And people that read books retain a lot more. Um, uh, there, there, there's some real good things that are happening when you read a book. I encourage people just go Google that and, um, you know, read some of those articles that are out there. And, and that's what it's been for me is like, I, it's hard for me to sit down and read a book. Like when you first sent me this, I said, you know, it might, it might take me a couple months, but I'll get through it. But it's just like it always is when I finally do make the time and, you know, I sit down, get quiet, put my dang phone away. That's the biggest thing. And then get into a book, man, it's hard to put them down. You know, it's, it just, tickles a part of your brain and you remember more. Um, some of the studies I've read, you know, people that read online, they part of it is they just don't take it as seriously. They skim a lot more where when you're reading a book, especially something of interest like this, you know, it's right in my wheelhouse, you know, mule deer and Western hunting. Um, you, you, you pick up a lot more details. You pay, you pay a, a lot more attention. I'm just saying that for you guys that are out there that are saying, oh, I don't read. Well, you should. You should. Reading's enjoyable. And, um, you know, in this fast paced world that we're living in and everything's a screen and a distraction and everything, I, I promise you'll you'll enjoy reading a book. Um, but but for, for those of you guys that like screens, David, I know so noted you noticed you also released it on Kindle as well, right? Yeah, yep, it's on there for sure. Um yeah. I, I don't know I, I don't know a whole lot about Kindle. I don't I don't have one, but that was kind of a recommendation from from the, our friend that that had also done a book in Texas that he said, man, you're missing out if you don't give it out on multiple options. Yeah, I agree. I did the same thing with my, my, my Kindle's only about maybe 10% of my sales, but it's a really high quality, like the pictures are great on a Kindle. Kindle is just like a small iPad um, and, and you subscribe to books and I don't know if you, you know, you download them on there. I don't know what you do, you know, but people pay for them. It's a cheaper way to get the book too. Your Kindle's the same as mine, $9.99. And, um, you know, so it's, 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 it's a good way for people to read it too. And, you know, a lot of people are on the move, you know, it's hard for them to, um, you know, take a physical book and stuff like that. So that's out there, uh, too. Um, so highly encourage people to do that. Uh, just Google it. It's, uh, let's see, David, give it, give us the full title again. Uh, hunting in today's wild west, hunting mule deer and all the other big game in the American West or the Mountain West. Mountain West, you got it, buddy. Okay, so let's wrap it up with this too, dude. As you, you know, you 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 delved into kind of the state of of hunting right now, and you know, especially mule deer and everything. There's a lot of pessimism in the industry right now, especially about mule deer. You know, they're kind of kind of on their heels. We can argue about you know the di different reasons why. You know, up here it's winter kill. Um, but, um, you know, kind of a pessimistic tone in there on that. Let's talk about, about that a little bit. Well, I, and I tried to, I tried to, uh, you know, lighten it up some, cause I, you know, like, like, you know, with writing, writing anything, you go through several drafts. So I, I tried to, you know, lighten the mood some, and I think I definitely, definitely accomplished that because I actually had changed the title. It was, the title was in the last days of the wild west. Mm -hmm. and. My dad said, that's just too, too depressing. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, you're right. That is pretty depressing. And, but in certain ways, I feel like we might be in the last days, mm -hmm. but, but there's, it's, there's a way to turn it around and I don't know exactly what it is, but like to give you an example, our, our deer hunting kind of, kind of started to wane a little bit in the late nineties. But there was always a good, healthy herd anywhere you went on private. You mm -hmm. could drive through people's hay fields and see a lot of deer. Mm -hmm. 
But, you know, we had some major sportsman outcry to make Colorado limited. And we went to commission meetings. I mean, we did everything we needed to do to basically force their hand to make it limited. Yep. And in 99, we went limited. And by 2003, 2004, the, the change was phenomenal. We went from seeing where you might see a deer or two to seeing 160 bucks that you wouldn't even tap your brakes driving down the road because you knew there was a better one somewhere else that you could glass up. It was, it was truly phenomenal what happened from 03 to about 07. Then we had a winner and Vision of Wildlife, you know, went full crying wolf and, oh, we, we should have been killing more of these deer and this wouldn't happen. So the tag numbers went up and up and up. And at this point, 2023, they're issuing more licenses than what was bought over the counter in 1998. And I really think that if we were to take the tag numbers back the way they were, we would see just as quick of a, of a change of, um, for the better if basically we just stopped killing so dang many. Mm-hmm. But you brought up something a little earlier that it, if we do that, then it takes that 10 preference point tag to a 20 preference point tag or worse. So where's the balance? I just, I just don't know. I agree, David. And that's, that's the hard part with me is, you know, I, I got to see Colorado when it was OTC in the, you know, early nineties. And then especially after the winter in 92, 93, that really set us back, but true to Colorado, it it started to recover. And, you know, it's funny to hear you say the hunting was good in the nineties because, you know, I'm just a, you know, 10 years older than you. And in my crowd, no, it wasn't good in the nineties. It was terrible. And, but, you know, that's just the difference of, of two generations out there hunting for what you guys were used to. It was great. But for the guys I was hanging around that were 30, 40, 50, you know, they had hunted in the eighties, you know, they, they were like, no, this is terrible. And so some of it is just our own perception and that's not right or wrong. That's just kind of when we're born. And, and, and then I'm with you in the, in the late nineties when it went limited quota. And then for anybody that um, that hasn't listened very far back on this podcast, go back and listen to the episode with Brandon Diamond, the biologist out of Gunnison. And, um, you know, he had talked about some of that history that, yeah, li- limited licenses worked hands down. But there were some other things uh, that that fell into play, i.e. weather, good, good wet weather, easier winters that really allowed that limited licenses to to have its full effect. And then with what David just said, by 2007 and eight, bam, we got we got hammered with a winner. And this is where the opinions kind of kind of diverge. And you know, I'm not saying I'm right. I'm not anything. I'm just one person. But you know, the Colorado, as David just said, up their licenses. And if I understood you, David, they're they you say they're issuing more licenses now than they were when it was OTC. They had come up with with an estimate of what they thought per unit was sold over the counter based on 1998 numbers when they went draw and they cut every last unit 50% of that. And some units a little more, the Gunnison Basin was cut 90%. And that was due in part to about three or four of us that screamed and stomped our feet and demanded the 90% because we needed, we, we actually wanted, you know, pockets of places that were like that. Mm-hmm. So we, we got the 90 for the Gunnison Basin. And the Gunnison Basin just turned around amazing. I mean, you could in the 90s, you drove around and a lot of that stuff, and you very seldom saw a deer. Yep. And by 03, 04, 05, it was like, man, look at all these 180 bucks. 
where did these come from? This is amazing. Yeah, two well, se- now, 270 bucks, 205 bucks, 210 bucks, 230 bucks. I yeah. mean, it was just not, we're not just talking a couple. We're talking dozens and dozens of giant bucks taken in those years. So in 1999, they were giving, I believe it was about 40 tags for second rifle and about 20 for third rifle. And there was no fourth season. Well, right. fast forward that to right now, and there's 300 per season. Mm-hmm. And a fourth rifle season. It's got 20 or 30 tags. Mm-hmm. So that's more than what was being what was being hunted and over the counter. It's it's a wonder that there's any deer left in the Gunnison Basin at all. And they're giving doe tags. I mean, that everybody you talk to thinks that's the most asinine thing they've ever heard of. The reason is to keep the buck to doe ratio up. That's that's a backwards way of going about getting the high buck to doe ratio. Mm-hmm. You, you can't kill your does and expect your herd to grow. It just didn't. That's 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 wildlife biology 101. But that's what they're doing. And you may not have these numbers, but if I remember right, Colorado hit 600,000 deer under limited licenses. Does that sound right to you? Uh, that's that's that a was, number that I've statewide. Right. Yeah. And now I think we're, goodness. High three hundreds. I mean, don't don't nobody quote me on yeah, that. Nobody, that's nobody I, quote me. That's if we can even trust the numbers. Yeah, right, right. Well, and, and the other thing too, David, though, is and 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 I'm not challenging on any of this. You know, I'm trying to learn too. But you know, you're mentioning a couple of units where the tags, you know, they're more than more than double now. But D- David, I know units that had two thousand hunters during the OTC management that now have, you know, three hundred buck tags. And um, so what I would like to know, because I don't, is when you when you talk about the hunting pressure, you know, being back up to where it was in OTC, man, that has not been my experience down there. But, uh, you know, I don't live there. You know, I've had 15, 20 Colorado licenses since, you know, 93, you know, the 90s. Oh my gosh, dude, the hunting pressure. And again, this is just my sample size of the few units I hunted. Dude, it was worse than it is now. So I, I would like to see really what those numbers are. And 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 again, I'm not challenging, I'm not challenging you or anything, but you know, to to have these conversations in a meaningful way, you know, we, we need numbers. You just gave some, which I, I I agree with of you know, Gunnison with a number of tags that they're issuing and stuff like that. Um but the tag numbers also are only one part of the equation. And 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 you said it, and I said it earlier, that even if we cut our, let, let's just say you're exactly right. The tag numbers have doubled now. Um, if we cut them in half again, how often are we going to get a hunt, David? Because that's one of the one of the things I saw in your book about the pessimism of this. Of I, mean, I shouldn't even say pessimism. It's just discouraging. And it's discouraging for me too. Tags that we were getting, you know, 10 years ago on second choice, you didn't even have to think about them. You could put in for your, you know, your, 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 your third or fourth season buck tag, you know, have a chance at it. I got seven points. Maybe I can get it. Oh, I didn't get it, but I'm going to get my second choice tag. And it was a third season tag, most likely no worse than a second season tag um, uh, or, or, you know, a good archery hunt or something like that. But reading your book, I mean, I saw you say it. I saw your dad say it. Man, those hunts now that were left over, they're four to seven preference points, correct? Yeah, it's and it just gets worse by the year. 
So the simple math to me is, okay, let's cut the tags back in half. And now I'm looking at second choice tags that take, uh, uh, if, that did take four to seven points. Now on my first choice, they're going to take eight to 14 points. That's, that's where I'm coming from. Man, that don't sound no fun either. Yeah. Then you're not even getting to go at all. Exactly. And so that's, that's, that's the line I'm always trying to walk. If anybody wants big bucks, it's me, <laughs> but I, I don't, to have a bunch of big bucks that I can tell this next generation that's coming up, hey, you guys are going to get a hunt once in 20 years. <laughs> I just can't bite off on it. You know, someone's going to have to convince me of a of a better way to do it. Um, so anyways, that's just, just a couple of things that are in there. And it doesn't sound like you're really arguing for or against it. It's just the state of it right now. And I would agree. It's not good and it's not looking too bright. Yeah, the, one of the things I mentioned in the book was us like technology is how it's changing things and i'm like i like i said there i'm not for or against it but like the long range thing i i saw a post i think it was just not too long ago on facebook and it was a very nice buck this guy killed a it was a 180 class buck with a few cheaters i mean just eyeballing it i'd say it was probably a four-year-old buck lots of potential he shot it at 680 yards i mean that's a heck of a shot. I mean, that's a good shooter that can do that. I'm, I mean, and I'm happy that he got the buck. But had he had a gun with a nine power scope without without a dial up clicker, and it, he would have had to have snuck within 350 yards of that buck at best. And there's a very good chance he was going to get away. Now, that same buck that was, you know, 180 with a few stickers, he gets to be five years old now, or six or seven. And that's the kind of buck. It turns into those 250 super giants at seven and eight years old. Mm -hmm. And we're not, we're not as, as deer hunters, we're not letting that happen. And I'm not saying I would have passed that buck up because I would be tickled to shoot a 180 with stickers mm -hmm. and everybody else was too. But if we shoot that buck, he's not going to be that super giant in three more years. And he's dead now because somebody killed him at 680 yards. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, but I saw I saw I saw your dad was very against long range hunting in there. Like it's a, you know he says long range target shooting, yeah, go for it. But long range hunting, um, uh, you know, not for it at all. And I guess what I'd like to see is because this is where I'm at, David. Is you know you said okay that guy shot it at 680. Um, Ten years ago, he he'd had stock into three three fifty. Um, this is where I'm at. Would the buck really have gotten away if he would have stocked in there? Statistically, yeah, probably, maybe. But are any of our game departments publishing data that can show us the success rates have gone up or down with technology? And I'm not even talking about just necessarily about long range hunting. Has, you know, range finders, you know, better bows, all that kind of stuff, you know, more reliable muzzle loaders. My good, I remember, my goodness, when I was a kid, it was wasn't so much the range of the muzzle loader, it was, is it really going to go off? Exactly. That was the problem, you know? <laughs> And so what I what I'm calling on our game departments to do is get us some data here, because I think not most, but many hunters, we're willing to limit ourselves. We really are. I mean, dude, I apply in Idaho's muzzleloader hunts and dude, we're just above flintlocks here. You know, percussion caps, no 209s, you know, open sights, no sabots. I mean, we truly are shooting 75 to 125 yard guns out here. And I apply for those hunts on some years because there's a, there's a great opportunity there. And so I think if if these game departments really want to do something besides just 
push the easy button of more limited licenses, more limited licenses, more limited licenses. Um, uh, because, you know, you know, I've already talked about where's that going to go pretty soon. We're, you know, we're hunting every 20 years. These deer are not bighorn sheep. You know, what'd you wait on your bighorn sheep? 28 years, David? 28 years for the sheep, 30 for the moose. Okay, I'm just not quite there yet with with mule deer, and so if 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 these game departments are able to show, hey, technology really is 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 increasing success rates, then we can make an argument for that 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 that, that limiting it, limiting it is going to make a difference. I know one thing that it does, in at least in my state, the more we limit technology, the better the draw odds get, and I just gave you an example in um with a muzzle loader now if it's a you know great unit that's managed for high buck to doe ratio and it's got giants you could start a traditional archery hunt in there and it'll still be a 20-year wait you know there's enough guys sitting on the sideline but you know i'm just talking about the average run-of-the-mill unit if if technology is 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 having an effect on this man i'm i'm all for having the discussion on on limiting this i'm where are you with all that david uh, oh, if there was a if there was a season that that restricted you to straight walled cartridge out of a lever action and iron sights, I would be all over it. I mean, I, I love having a scope. I love being able to dial up to fourteen power, even though I mean I don't typically sh shoot further than three three fifty. It's still nice to be able to crank that scope up. But I would I would give it up if it meant hunting bigger bucks more often. Gotcha. Gotcha. And then, you know, the whole habitat thing. I mean, I'm a big proponent of the Mule Deer Foundation. In fact, you know, spoiler alert, everybody, you're going to hear some uh, Mule Deer Foundation ads coming onto this podcast, and I encourage you to listen to them. We're going to going to try to, uh, you know, get get more people on the bandwagon. If, if the Mule Deer Foundation can do what the Rocky Mountain Elk thing, that Foundation has done for for elk, I mean, that's just going to improve our draws, improve our hunting. Um, you know, that's, that's kind of the long game. You know, the habitat management, acquiring habitat. Man, you live in a state where habitat is just it's just being gobbled up i mean you probably see it all the time right david oh and I, I'm, I'm a surveyor so i'm the first one in to see a beautiful piece of ground that's that's going to be littered up with with million dollar houses it's it's sometimes my job be pretty depressing yeah <laughs> I mean, I, to, I, to, to know what's coming before everybody else and to see especially places that i've been able to hunt before and now there's a strip mall there it's I go there and it just I, I've got to just just swallow it down and do my job. But I just sometimes I hate myself at work just because of that. Yeah. Yeah. I picked up on that in your book. And, you know, you gave that one example of that, um, you know, that Chinese investor, you know, he bought a whatever you said, a couple hundred acres and he he's given it back to wildlife, mowed the. Uh, the mansion down. I mean, it sounds like that that actually might help wildlife, but it's all locked off. No one's ever going to hunt it. There can be 350 inch bucks on there, world records. We'll, we'll just have to drive by and wave at them. Yep, that's all we can do. But at least in that situation, they can still live there. Right. And right. In some a, of these others, it's just now it's all pavement. And it's yep. right. Well, yeah. What can you no do? Habitat. I mean, there's there's not going to be a, a a shortage of people that, that people have to have places to live and shop and. Yep. You know, buy coffee. Yep. And then, then you brought up the wolves and I just kind of want to add to that conversation a little bit, David, I've been living with wolves since uh, basically when I met you dude, 30 years. And um, I don't know how it's going to go over in Colorado, but um, I can tell you this. Um, I have never seen a wolf. And I, I apparently live, I live in the wolf infested state. Now, part of that is I don't hunt where the wolves are on purpose. 
Um, and, um, but I can tell you around the population centers, um, you know, where I live, the I-15 corridor, man, I haven't seen a, even a wolf track in probably three or four years. Um, they get in trouble. They get in trouble around population centers. We're talking cattle, horses, dogs, people, all that stuff. I don't know how it's going to play out in Colorado. You know, we we were able to aggressively manage them um, quicker. But if you guys can get a handle on the management of them, um, you know, it, it may surprise you what you can get away with down there as far as having wolves on the landscape. And don't nobody send me a nasty. I don't want them. Don't get me wrong. But it sounds like you guys don't have a choice now. And this is the problem with everything getting on the ballot. Um, uh, you know, they take your choice away. But, yeah. you know, f- fight for the management of them. And I can tell you around here, you know, we had more wolves around here probably 10 years ago before we took over the management of them. Because, you know, n- now... If, if if there's trouble, if they're, you know, showing up around cattle, stuff like that, man, there's hunters there to deal with it. And uh, it's, that's not that way everywhere in Idaho. There are some real problem spots. But I, I guess what I'm trying to, to say, David, give you a little bit of hope is, and, and you guys need to fight for your right to hunt them. And you may be surprised some of those people that actually voted for them may end up being on your side when they're grabbing poodles and horses and, you know, down and down, you know, because they get in trouble. They, you know, anywhere there's wild game and, and they're, they're, nowhere in the west is there more wild game around subdivisions and and houses and people than than in colorado in my book um it 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 may end up playing in your favor is what i'm getting at well we can only hope yep we can only hope and sometimes i'm really naive but anyways buddy um good conversation to have david um uh man i just uh just really excited for you and your book uh maybe because i'm an author but i just know it's it's a great thing reading's great um, I hope people will get out and give this book a try. Hunting in Today's Wild West, Hunting Mule Deer, and All the Other Big Game of the Mountain West by David Knight, Mike Knight, and Jared Knight. I sure appreciate you coming on the podcast. Uh, you got anything else, David? Nope. I appreciate you having me on here. It was a lot of fun. This was actually the first time I've been a part of something like this, and it was it was a lot of fun. Well, you old farmer, man, you got you to gotta get off of your surveying equipment and come on a podcast once in a while, and you're always welcome. All right. I appreciate that. Hey, buddy. God bless you, man. Tell your dad hi, and I hope to get to meet Jared someday. I hope so, too. Thank you a bunch. Okay. Bye-bye.